for the Word of God. How many of you are ready for the Word? Yes. Praise the Lord. How many of you want it to be brief? brief. <laughs> powerful. powerful. Brief and powerful. Oh, I'm feeling the stress. Um, if you open your Bible in the Old Testament to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. This morning, I want to begin to do a little teaching and preaching on the subject of praise and worship. And so when you find Psalm 100, uh, verse 1, just look up and I'll begin. We'll just read through that. And then I want to share some, some initial thoughts with you this morning about praise and worship, a couple of just central basic thoughts that we can um, base in the weeks to come what we're going to be preaching on off of. Psalm 100, verse 1 through 5. Shout out praises to the Lord all the earth. How many of you are part of all the earth? Glory to God. About a third of you. That's good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Um, so shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Acknowledge that the Lord is good. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Let me read that line again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with what? Praise. With praise. Give him thanks. Praise his name. For the Lord is good. His loyal love endures and he is faithful throughout all generations. When we use the term praise and worship, we usually think of music. We think of song. We think of singing. I want to challenge that thinking this morning. The word worship has a lot of different meanings. The root word found in the Old Testament means to prostrate or to lay yourself out before God in, in, uh, in worship uh, of the Lord and uh, in in uh, honoring him. The word worship also, the etymology of that word in English, um, literally comes down to a contraction of the word worth. What is a thing worth? Its value. And ship, the practice of that worth. The word worship is really the word worth-ship. Worship Praise and worship, what we usually think about as praise and worship songs or music, from a scriptural point of view, praise and worship is actually declaring the worship of God. So if we are not focused on why God is worthy to be praised, then we're just singing songs. Singing praise and worship songs is not worshiping God if your mind isn't thinking about the worth 
worship of God. Does that make sense? So true worship will praise God for His worthiness before and beyond your own personal reasons. All of us, we don't need to raise our hands, but all of us can admit that we have been in situations where we come together as Christians and we said, I don't feel like praising God today. And we don't. We don't participate. We're, we're, we don't become vigorous in our praise. We don't um, become uh, engaged. And we sort of come and we let everybody else's worship just sort of splash up on us, you know, and, and uh, just kind of, oh, I, I enjoyed that. I felt that. So worship is not coming and feeling something from everybody praising and worshiping God. That is not worship. That's just simply you feeling something. Worship isn't worship until you are doing it. It's not worship just because you're among people who are doing it. It's only worship. You're not worshiping God if you're not worshiping God. Does that make sense to you? So, and true worship is not based on how you feel, but it's based on God's right to be praised. Is he worthy? Let, let me put it to you like this. Um, if you were cast down, you know, David said in the psalm, why are you cast down, O my soul? I will yet praise the Lord. <clears throat> so what David is saying in those lyrics that he wrote in that song, he's looking inward to himself and he realizes that there's some days that he's just depressed. He doesn't feel like praising God. So he wrote these lyrics in a song that made it into the Bible. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Wait a minute. I will praise the Lord who is the health and the lifter up of my countenance. So he puts it right there in the lyrics of the song. I don't feel like praising God. Wait a minute. What's wrong with me? Wake up. God's worthy to be praised. Praise and worship. If you can't worship because of something that's off, then it's your failure to praise and worship God because the Bible says true worship is based on his worthiness. What is it going on in our circumstances that reduces his worth? His worth never changes. So he is worth praising at all times, which is why the Psalms say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Why? Because true worship has nothing to do with music. It has nothing to do with song singing. True worship is just that. It is focusing on the worship, the worthiness of God, and then opening your mouth and praising and celebrating Him from your heart. So, um, let me share with you a couple of verses. The Psalms are just chock full of these, but I grabbed a couple of them. And I'm, I'm just going to read three of them, and you tell me what you think these verses have in common. You ready? So listen up. Look for the thread of commonality through these three. Psalm 138, verse 5. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord and joyfully celebrate 
His mighty acts, for great is the glory of the Lord. Psalm 89 and verse 1. I will sing of the mercy and loving kindness of the Lord forever, and my mouth will make known your faithfulness from generation to generation. Psalm 145, the last one, verses 4 and 5. One generation will praise your deeds to another and tell about your mighty acts. I will focus on your honor and majestic splendor and your amazing deeds. Oh, I love that last phrase. There is something in that last phrase. He says, they, they, one generation, will, will declare God's praise and deeds to another generation and sing of his mighty acts. And then he follows by saying, but I will focus on your honor and majestic splendor and your amazing deeds. Okay, so you heard those three verses. Just real simple. It's not a trick question. What do you think those three verses have in common? Very good. Anybody else? Pat said that they, what's that? They focus on his works. Is, would everyone agree with those two responses? I think everyone's nodding. All right, so both of our responses were absolutely right on. What these verses don't do is they don't talk about how I feel. There's nothing in here about, oh, I feel awesome, or I feel down. or I feel... Now, there are plenty of psalms that where David expressed and the other writers of psalms expressed being downcast and everything, and then they would resolve it with, but the Lord has lifted me up. So I'm not saying that there aren't psalms that don't talk about that, but when they talk about honoring God, every focus is on God's right to be honored. What makes him worth honoring? So I will make known your faithfulness and I will focus on your honor and majestic splendor. So what happens when you come in and they're playing that song you hate? That praise song. Or what, what happens when you come in and the people around you are singing off key? And it's just a distraction in your life, and it's just an irritation. And I can't praise God. Listen, do you hear her? We used to have a lady, uh, if you could picture this, about 600 people in the congregation at our church years ago in Connecticut. And I mean, we had a loud, boisterous church. They liked to praise the Lord. So we had quite a service every Sunday. We had a lady that insisted on bringing her tambourine to church, which was very common in those days. But she, if she had an ounce of rhythm, I don't know where she was keeping it. But she wanted to beat that darn tambourine, and it was horrible. I just don't know any. And as a musician, I would just go cross-eyed up there. And then I'd say, well, I can't get my mind on this. And... It was awful. I think there were people probably praying that her tambourine would fall apart. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the song would be going, and she'd be. 
and you'd be like, what is going on? But the Bible says make a joyful noise. So, you know, it's not a concert. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, nobody's there saying, I want my money back. These guys stink. No, we're, we're, it's worth-ship. It's not about who's, on, who's got rhythm and who doesn't have rhythm or, or who's singing off-key. And so when people come in and they say, I can't stand it anymore. I, I can't come back. I'm just going to have to stay home and I'll come when the message begins. I can't be here during the worship. What's, the pro what's going on when that happens? What's going on is somebody doesn't know what worship is. And, and, and let me tell you, I think all of us have come to that point. And I'm, I'll mention that and talk a little bit about it in a few minutes. But I just want you to understand that worship is worth-ship, or it isn't worship at all. Um, I love this out of Luke. I know you're familiar with it. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 40, Jesus replied, I tell you that if these keep silent, the very stones will cry out. Do you know where that phrase is from? It was the triumphant entry. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he rode on the donkey and they laid palm branches and the children started shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders got angry at it. They said, well, this is totally out of order. And they went to Jesus' disciples and to Jesus and they said to Jesus, you need to stop them from saying that. You need to stop them uh, that is totally out of order for them to say that and to shout out like that and to carry on like that. You need to make them stop. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you that if these little children keep silent, the rocks will begin to praise me. Now, I love that. I know you love that. It's a, it's a, it just has a wonderful feel to it. Oh, the rocks will praise God. But, what, but think about it for a minute. What's he saying? What he's really saying is, if people who Christ elevated to sonship fail to praise him based on his worthness alone, then the rocks who feel nothing will start praising him. What does that mean? It means praise has nothing to do with how you feel. If Jesus, listen to me. Jesus said, if these people who I've put a soul in, who are capable of feeling something, if they fail to use what, to focus their mind and heart on me and praise me because I'm worthy, then rocks that have no emotion and don't feel anything and for whom I've done precious little are going to start shouting and praising God. Praise does not require you to feel anything. Now, you can't begin to praise God and not start feeling something. It's the best way I know to change the way you feel. It's always been a mystery to me why people will come into church and kind of drag in with a little bit of a burden. No, no condemnation. We all do. Hey, it's a tough world out there. Stuff happens. But why drag in and drag out unchanged? Amen. Why do that? Right. Why come in and go, well, there really wasn't an opportunity for me to worship the Lord. No, no, no. You didn't worship the Lord. That's on you. 
It's not on anybody. It's on you. If you didn't praise and worship the Lord, that's on you. you we've come to, what's the I have come to magnify the Lord. I will give him praise. You see, that's what, this, that's what true worship is. It is recognizing his right to be praised and his worth and then using your will to express it. And, you know, it's always nice when you feel motivated and you've got some joy and, oh, I just can't wait to get to church and praise the Lord. But what happens when you don't feel that? And furthermore, have you ever thought about if God blesses somebody, helps them, heals them, works a problem out for them and they get so excited, say, I'm just going to praise God. I, he is so worthy. The Lord is just wonderful. His grace is just tremendous. Is he only tremendous when he does something for you? If it doesn't seem like, or if your finger's not on the pulse of him doing something great for you, is he not great? Is he still worth being, is he, is he not still all of those things, no matter what's going on in your life? You see, we have taken worship and we've taken the worth out of it and we've put selfship in there. And we've made our worship about us and about our proclivities, what we like, you know, the right temperature, the right this and that and everything. Um, and we need to get back to understanding what true worship is all about. So if the rocks can praise God and they feel absolutely nothing, then certainly we can praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 48, verse 1, you hear it around here all the time. It's one of the most popular, famous psalms. And it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast of the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Look at, the, look at all the references to the human will. I will bless the Lord. My soul shall. The humble will hear and be glad. Those are all acts of human will. Everywhere you see scriptures about praise and worship, you will see them connected to the human will. In other words, what I'm trying to say, praising God depends on your will, not on your condition. Let me say that again. Praising God does not depend on your condition or the state of your affairs or the condition around you. But praising God depends upon your will. Will you praise Him? Will you exalt the Lord? Will you give thanks? Will you bless the Lord? And the answer, of course, is whatever you do or don't do. So if true praise and worship depends on your will and not on your condition, then whatever dominates your will controls your praise and worship. Your praise and worship depends upon your will. Whatever dominates your will controls your praise and worship. Praise and worship is not controlled by the band. 
It may be affected by the band, but it's not controlled by the band. Praise and worship is controlled by your will. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So if we go by what the Bible says, praise and worship begins as an act of your will. Whatever controls your will, you and I must ask the question, why am I praising God or why am I not praising God? What is going on what controls my will that I can't praise God? Now, <clears throat> over recent decades, probably 30, 40 years or so, it's been, it's been evolving for quite some time, the whole subject of praise and worship has been highly elevated in the church. How many of you have been a Christian long enough to have watched and you've, you've seen that happen. The whole subject and topic of praise and worship has been refined to an art form. It's become huge, it's become prominent. It is today, in many churches, the centerpiece of the church. And preaching the word sometimes is ancillary or secondary to the praise and worship. In fact, in a lot of churches, it is the praise and worship or the music that brings people into the church, not necessarily the preachers or the teachers or the word. So there has been a great change. And I have to say that it's a good thing that praise and worship has been elevated over the decades and made prominent. Look how prominent it is in the Bible. There are 150 psalms, and they're all about praising and worshiping God. There probably is no other topic in the Bible that is more prolific in the life of a believer than praising and worshiping God. It is so critical. It's so important to our life. Um, so it is a great thing that I think in, in the modern church and our culture that praise and worship has been elevated and has risen in prominence. But there is an unintended consequence of that elevation, and that is praise and worship music has taken on a prominence above the true meaning of worship. And I've alluded to it with a few of my statements this morning. And now I just want to directly challenge you to think about this thought. Take it home and think about it. And some of you may have to wrestle with it, but I urge you to wrestle with it. Amen. It's worth wrestling with because if you truly wrestle with it before God, you will find out some things about yourself. All of us have proclivities. How many of you know what proclivities are? Proclivities are something we, we would call tendencies. They're habits. They are the leanings. They're what, what we have. A, if you have a proclivity towards eating a lot or a proclivity towards, uh, and certainly nobody could relate to that. But um, you understand they are, oh, I like country music. Oh, I can't stand country music. I like folk music. I like soft music. I like loud music. Um, and usually those things are extensions of our personality and, and 
Our, our proclivities are usually an extension of our various characteristics and traits. So as, as such, having proclivities is not a bad thing. It's just, it's just a state of being. It's how we are. It's what we are. But a Christian is someone who brings their whole life under the lordship of Jesus. So if there are proclivities that need to be yielded to the lordship of Jesus because they get in the way of God's will, then we have a thing we call that in Christianity. It's called taking up your cross and making Jesus first. And that's where all of us experience Christian growth. That's the struggle that all of us have as Christians is the, am I, am I holding on to certain proclivities that ought to be yielded to the Lord? Or um, um, is this the way I am and I ought to just uh, stand my ground and just be this way? Um, and and uh, there's no need to expect God to change me. That question impacts the whole subject of praise and worship when the congregation gets together. Now, in your personal private homes, I hope all of you are worshiping the Lord in your devotional life. We call it devotional life. Most of people have a devotional time in the morning. If you don't, I highly encourage you to begin because the Bible says those that seek me early shall find me. And so at the beginning of the day, we want to have that fellowship and communion with the Lord. So praise and worship should be a lifestyle. But when we come together as the body of Christ, that's when we have problems. Because now we come from a whole bunch of different proclivities, tastes and things. Like my wife and I, I don't think she would mind me saying this. We're very different in our proclivities having to do with music and volume. I like not too loud. The older I get, not quite as loud as, but I like aggressive, you know, loud. I like beautiful music, but I like, you know, I'm outgoing, gregarious, and that, that shows up in a number of ways, and it shows up musically. Kathy um, uh, is much more sensitive to volume and more sensitive to to different things that I'm not as sensitive to. And that's just a physical thing. Those are, that's a physical difference. So some of it is mental and emotional. Some of it is just physical. So there are realities about what governs our proclivities that are legitimate. So I'm not suggesting that we not pay attention to them. But when we all come together as the body of Christ, we have different forms and we have different proclivities. And that is where praise and worship becomes an issue. And that's why you see all these different types of churches with all these different styles because some people can't stand it that way, but they love it this way. And some people love it this way, but they can't stand it that way. And so, you know, they're all, all those prayers going from all those churches up to the same God. Do you think that he is sitting there on his throne going, all right, well, I receive your worship, but I hate your music. Or he's listening to these people going, I love that song. I just tap in his toe. God, his heart is touched 
by our heart, by faith, by the faith of our heart, by our love. All those things that are substantial spiritual virtues, that is what God hears when he listens to praise and worship. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter says, if I do all these great things and say all these powerful truths, but I'm not in love, I'm like what? I'm an irritating gong or a cymbal. So you see that God and heaven look upon music and it's either irritating and a nuisance or it is sweet and it has nothing to do with the style of music, the volume of music, the rate of speed, the depth of the bass or the height of the organ or the off-key singing or on-key singing. It has all to do with agape. Without agape, without the love, without the sincerity, without true worship, the Lord could listen to a church of 500 people all off-key, wailing away, singing and, and, and uh, praising God and offbeat, but, they're, but they're, not, they're not letting it bother them. They're just having at it. They're praising the Lord and they're in the spirit and worshiping God. That is worship. And, and the Bible says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will rejoice and joy over you with singing. He joins that worship. He, and the Bible has, there's verses about Jesus singing in the midst of the great congregation. So when, when real worship is happening, Jesus is joining in. And I assure you, it has only to do with one thing, and that is the sincerity of people willing to set aside their little ways and worship God because he is worthy to be praised. So, but unfortunately what has happened with this refining of praise and worship and elevating of praise and worship, the more that has happened over particularly recent years, the more praise and worship has been distilled down to just music. So when people talk about worship, they're thinking about music. And we have made worship all about, what if we didn't have any music? Would we be worshiping God? Would we be praising God? What if there was no music? I've been in churches in Africa back in the 80s where they snapped their fingers. Now you guys would probably think, that's rude. You're in there snapping your fingers at God. That's rude. See, your proclivities and your cultural uh, uh, um, identity would be offended at that. You know, it would be a distraction to you, perhaps. But it was how they worshiped the Lord. I, I, I was, I ch chuckled. I thought, I went in, and it was a Presbyterian church in the country of Ghana. So a Presbyterian church in the country of Ghana, they began to praise and worship the Lord and all of a sudden, I heard this clicking all over, and everybody's going like this. And I thought, what is that? God, do you permit that? Is that okay for them to do? I know, I'm trying to think in my mind. Where's the scripture? It says, snap your fingers unto the Lord. The Bible says, make a joyful noise. Honestly, I thought it was cool. But I tend to be pretty liberal when it comes to the subject of worship. Um, so the problem is that with the intense focus on praise and worship music, we are now in danger 
of making worship, the worship of God, subject to the proclivities of the people who are worshiping, much in the same way that they select Christian radio stations. Oh, I like that Christian radio station. They play that progressive stuff. Oh, I don't like that. They play. I listen to this station. They play this stuff. So when you're in your own home or you're doing your own thing, you've got your favorite type of music. And you're probably thinking, I don't know how those kids can praise God to that noise. Right? Do you understand? You, can, you, get, you get what I'm saying? So... Um, the worship of God, I believe today, is in danger of losing its focus on worship and becoming all about style based on what people like. It's like selecting radio channels. I like this, I don't like that. So, I do have, and I'd like to kind of close with this and one other thought. I do have an idea, a, a suggestion. I believe that reinforcing this one primary principle about worship or worship would instantly bring this error back into balance and we could have a unified body of people worshiping Jesus Christ wherever we met with whomever we had those meetings if everybody was saved. And it's, it is expressed in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. And it's the story of David who wanted to bring a sacrifice and worship God. And he was at this guy's farm whose name was Arana. And he's at Arana's farm and he wants to offer up an oxen and worship the Lord. And Arana offers him one of his oxen. Because David's the king and Arana says, well, let me... Here, let me offer you this oxen and you can, you can offer that oxen to the Lord. Listen to what David says. David responds to Arana and he says, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. That principle will bring all this imbalance back into balance. That is a defining principle in worship. I will not worship God in a way that costs me nothing. At a very minimum, our praise of God ought to come at the expense of our own tastes, our own feelings, and our own proclivities. If you can't sacrifice your own, well, I like country songs. How come we can't sing none of them country songs? Or I like, and you can go on and on. If you can't bring yourself to set aside your feelings, then you can't enter into true worship in the way that David said, I will not worship God with something that costs me nothing. True worship sometimes costs you something, costs you the decision of your will and your tastes and your proclivities. Sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise that we offer to the Lord. I wish I had time to tell you of the many times right here in this church that I've come in before people arrived and just felt either in pain or just... Uh, 
you know, just swamped with all kinds of cares. The last thing I felt like doing, God seemed a million miles away. And I just found a little corner and I began to sing, clap, shout, get loud, get crazy, worked myself up to it. But I began to quote scripture, begin to praise God, begin to move around. See, I believe in volume. I believe in action. I believe in praising God from head to toe with your whole being. Why? You say, well, that's because you're that way. No, because the Bible says to do it. So I just do what the Bible says to do. You know what? Inside of minutes, all of a sudden, I can't wait for people to stream through those doors and let's worship the Lord together and the anointing and the power of God's there. And I'm flipped right back. The world's all good again. Nothing may have changed out there, but the world's good again. I'm, I'm doing fine. So with this thought, I want to close this morning. It's a question. We'll take the next few weeks to answer it. Why is your praise and worship, yours specifically, important to God? If there's a God, we know that there is a God. Why, why is there praise and worship and singing and clapping? And we'll be sharing about all the different forms of praise and worship the Bible talks about. But why is it important to God? It obviously is. I think you should know the answer to that. I think you should know why praise and worship is important. If you knew why, you would do it more. You'd be more vigorous about it. You'd be more deliberate about it. You'd be more consistent about it. So let me just leave you with two thoughts. In Psalm 22 and verse 3, it says, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. The psalmist says to God, you are holy and you are enthroned. Or I think another translation says you sit upon the praises of Israel. Um, so the first reason why praise is important to God is because it connects you to his presence. All of those psalms, just read them. They all talk about you being connected to his presence and um, don't have time to elaborate on what is the difference between having Jesus in your heart and being connected to his presence. But there is a difference. The presence of God is conditional. It's not automatic. There's a way to get into it. And if you don't take that way, you won't get into it. So it is conditional. But praise connects you with God's presence. For example, Psalm 118, 24. This is the day which the Lord has made we will rejoice. By the way, that word rejoice, do you know what that means? Spin with joy. Spin with joy. Praise the Lord. When's the last time you spun with joy? Think. As long as there's a deacon there to pick me up, I'm willing to spin with joy. The Bible says... The Lord is worthy. This is the day he's made. We will rejoice. We will. There's that will again. We will rejoice and be glad or become glad. So when you come in and you say, I don't feel like praising God. And they're singing them dumb songs again. I'm sick of those. And I, don't, I just can't praise God to that. The Bible says you could change like spinning, turning with joy. You could turn around. You could change up your attitude. The Bible says rejoice and become glad. It doesn't say rejoice because you are glad. It said rejoice and become glad. Even a dog 
can get excited and wag its tail. Its tail just starts wagging. But when you're not happy, your tail doesn't wag by itself. What happens if you're only rejoicing when you're, when you're feeling good and your tail's wagging? So, at any rate, the second thing that praise does, the second reason why it's important, the first is it connects you to God. The second reason is it disconnects you from Satan. It disconnects you from the enemy. Praise breaks the connection between Satan, the devil, and however he is interfering with your life. Praise does that. The Bible says, My soul will be satisfied with fat, rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful shouting and triumphant lips. Again, that word praise is a Hebrew word we'll be talking about in the future. It's called halal. It has many rich meanings, but one of them is a word you probably don't use too much anymore called stultify. Stultify. Do you know what stultify? If I were to stultify you, do you know what I've just done to you? Hopefully you don't come to church and I stultify you. To stultify means to discourage or take the wind out of somebody. If somebody comes at you and they're going to attack you and you're able to say something to discourage them and they just turn around and walk away, you stultified them. They were going to attack you and you stopped them. The Bible talks about praise having a stultifying effect. Well, we know it's not stultifying God. It's in, it encourages the blessings of God. But when you praise the Lord, you are taking the wind out of the devil's sails. You discourage him. Think about it. Have you ever said within yourself, how do I just shut the devil off? This, these problems, get, bills keep coming, sickness keeps rising, or discouragement keeps heaping. It's one thing after another. How, how, how can I just deflate the devil? Deflate this attack. Praise takes the wind out of the enemy's sails. It discourages them. Next time you get, get into a thing and you're praising God, just have that vision in your mind. The devil's going, oh. And he starts to wander away. It may not, may not be immediate, but it discourages the enemy. And in coming weeks, we're going to share why that happens, why praise is so important. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for taking the extra time. Think about some of these things I've shared with you about the worth ship of God.